Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Without Sin Written by Matt Butcher Narrated by Ian McEwan Tonight, I'm to become a man. I'm not buying my first porno mag or smoking my first cigarette or anything like that. We're not like that on the farm. We're not like those Philistines that dwell in the present-day Gomorrah, as Father would say. Father, he runs things on the farm. He keeps us in check with the rules set in scripture, makes sure we have a good harvest each autumn, and gives anyone who steps out of line a good thrashing. He doesn't like hurting us. He does it because he loves us. He wants us to get into the promised land. We're his flock, his children, all 205 of us. There's a firm rapping on my door. Without words, I open it, allowing the moonlight to flood in and bathe my pasty skin in its pure white glow. Are you ready, Jib? A silhouetted figure asks from the gloom outside. It's father, here to fetch me for the rite through which I will transcend to adulthood. Of course, father, I reply, nodding enthusiastically. With each passing day, I find his favor is all that I want in this mortal world. 
He is like God to me, though I daren't say this aloud, as he'd thrash me for my blaspheming. We on the farm are God-fearing folk. Every Sunday, Father gathers us in the barn and recites a passage from the good book with such passion and fervor that you'd think he'd been trained as a vicar. He hasn't, though. He's just a natural, chosen by God himself. Several passages he's read to us have stuck with me. One in particular was 1 Chronicles 22.2. So David gave orders to gather the foreigners who were in the land of Israel, and he set stonecutters to hew out stones to build the house of God. Father would then lead a sermon to explain that this specific passage was about our little community on the farm. We, as descendants of European explorers, were the foreigners in America, which Father would often refer to as the New Israel. We had cut the stones our houses and our barn were made of from the earth. We had not just built a house for God, but a whole village. We were the stonecutters mentioned in Scripture. It is an honor beyond description. I follow Father down the cobbled path, guided by the crescent moon suspended in the pitch-dark heavens above. Ahead, Father stands a proud six and a half feet tall. He is a powerful man, both in stature and spirituality. He is wiser than anyone I know, and his mercy is unrivaled. Not two weeks ago, Mary, my mother, birthed a son with some defect that set his heart outside his chest. I remember the rogue organ clearly, pulsating with each heartbeat. I had asked Father about poking it back in, but he'd solemnly told me that it didn't work like that. Your mother has sin in her heart, he'd informed me coldly. As is her heart in the wrong place, so is that of her progeny. This had set my mother into fits of tears, remorse for her sin, I had to assume. I remember father severing the umbilical cord with his teeth and taking the young boy outside. He had placed him in the cobbles of the path I walk on now, taking a moment to soak him in, then caved his fragile skull in with a large rock. It had been quick and merciful. The boy couldn't have lasted, not like that. It had been a great shame. He was to be called Joseph, and he was to be my younger brother. I had always wanted a brother. Up ahead, I can see the large shape of the barn. Though we use it to store our autumn harvest, it is also used as our church and is shaped as such. Its wooden steeple rises high into the night, threatening to pluck the stars from the sky. Ahead, in the gloom, I can see its large doors ajar. Candlelight is leaking through a thin opening to play on the cobbled floor outside. Father turns to face me again, partially illuminated by this sliver of light. Are you sure you're ready for this, Jeb? He asks again. From this... There will be no going back, you understand? I understand, Father. 
He opens the door with a heavy creaking, and I step under his arm to enter. The cacophony of excited murmurs hush upon my arrival. The entire farm is here, all to witness my passage into manhood. I feel my heart race, and for the first time, doubt creeps into my mind. A passage from scripture surfaces from my subconscious to ease my worry. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. We aren't the wind or the sea. We are the rock, steadfast and unfaltering. I repeat words from a sermon of fathers. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. My Lord is my rock, I reiterate. The utterance seems to give me new strength, and I press on down the aisle that parts the hay bale pews. Pale faces watch me in the yellow candlelight as I make my way to the altar. Father is already waiting there, now garbed in a priestly robe, taddy from years of use. Beside him is something covered in an old sheet. It moves in response to my approaching footsteps and lets out a muffled scream. Approach, my son, Jebediah. He beckons me with an outreached hand. My heart flutters at the sound of his voice. The shrouded person screams through the gag again. It sounds like a woman. Father always says they sin more than men. They're mostly who we save during these ceremonies. Waifs and strays from the city, desperate for God's mercy. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of coffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He preaches to the room, though it feels like his words are from me alone. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a steadfast tree, planted in firm, rocky soil that bears fruit in all seasons. The air is thick with anticipation. This rite of passage is a staple of life for us on the farm, and its significance is revered by all. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. In a swift, sudden motion, Father tears the sheet away to reveal a woman, garbed in a burlap gown and tied to a chair. A rag is stuffed into her mouth, though her screams still somehow seem to seep around it. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away, Father continues. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Father approaches me, silver chalice in hand, and flicks water from it onto my sweaty brow. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I cleanse you, my son Jebediah. 
I feel the holy water trickle down my nose, as though it were a tear of joy, and come to rest on my dry lips. You are free from sin, my son, father says with pride. You are almost a man. His attention turns to the bound woman. I follow his gaze, and my heart feels like it stops dead in my chest. It's gloomy in the barn. The candlelight from the lanterns doesn't afford much visibility, but it doesn't take me long to recognize the bruised and bloody face of my own mother. We lock eyes for a painful moment before my attention returns to father. This woman, one of our flock, is one of the wicked. He preaches past me to his congregation, though his steely gaze does not leave mine. There is a mess of voices, of booing and jeering from the crowd behind me. She is the chaff that the wind drives away. She is not welcome in our congregation of the righteous, and she will not be judged by the Lord. Father pauses here, as he always does. As we shall act as his right hand and carry out judgment ourselves, as is tradition. Amen. There is a chorus of amen from behind me. Does the accused wish to speak any final repentance so that she may, by God's mercy, be granted access to the paradise eternal? Father removes the rag from her mouth so violently, I'm surprised that it doesn't pull teeth with it. My mother takes a few gasps before rasping her protest. This is not a godly place, she screams hoarsely. Blasphemy, an elderly man yells from somewhere in darkness. I am being put to death because I gave birth to an invalid. That was the Lord's doing, not mine. With treatment in the city, that boy, Joseph, could have lived. The mention of his name brings back that painful night to crystal clarity. I can remember, as though it had just happened, the wet crack as the skull of that baby boy, my brother, was crushed to death by father in an act of mercy. It was an act of mercy, wasn't it? My mind begins to reel. Send the harlot back to Gomorrah. It's where she belongs, a woman cries. Her? A young girl, no more than four, screams from the front row. We birth children that aren't right because every child here has the same father. This father. She gestures to him with her head. Any girls he fathers, he takes for his brides. And any sons, he sets to work in the fields. When a woman can no longer provide functioning workers for him, he has them put to death. Why can none of you see this? My mother had almost become drowned out by the crowd's zealous fury, despite my being stood about a few feet from her. Seeing they weren't listening, she turned her attention solely to me. God gave those in the city's medicine, 
He let them discover him through science. Her bruised, bloodshot eyes begin to well up. We don't have to live like this, Jib. We can be free. That is God's will. I am torn in two, as though tied to two horses sit galloping in opposite directions. One was the woman who birthed me, the other the man who raised me. Father, unperturbed by my mother's outbursts, hands me a large stone, its smooth surface marred with the flaking burgundy blood of those it had previously purged of sin. Let he who is now without sin, Father begins the rite's closing line, cast the first stone, I complete automatically. Raising the rock high above my head, my eyes lock with those of my mother. I'm so sorry, Mama, I say wordlessly. Please forgive me. Bringing the stone down with all my might, I feel it connect with her skull. The damp crack mirrors that of my baby brother's. Thick blood trickles from the newly formed dent in her forehead. She looks back up to me with the one eye that still seems to face the way she intends and lets out a final plea. Jeb, please. A rock whizzes over my shoulder and collides with her jaw, snapping it to the side out of socket. I stagger back, unable to watch. As I slink back into the shadows at the back of the barn, each Bone crunch and wet crack sends shivers straight through me. Though my mother's cries have now become garbled groans, I can still hear her voice pleading for me to help. But I couldn't. What is done is done. I'm a man now, whatever the hell that means. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Without Sin was written by Matthew Butcher, narrated by Ian McEwen, edited by Carl Hughes, with music by Mayu and Tom Robson. We're gearing up to release our second print edition of The Other Stories. It collects all of the stories from the second three volumes of the show, with an extra thrown in just for you. It will be available from all good Amazons, and you'll find a direct link in the show notes for the coming episodes. We're also going to be giving away five free signed copies. So to enter, simply head over to www.hawkandcleaver.com forward slash competition and enter your contact details. Until next time.